Michiganders can be a superstitious bunch. We find all sorts of reasons to explain the world around us, sometimes pulling from science, sometimes tradition, and sometimes from our imaginations. What happens when we can't readily explain our experiences? And what happens when a ghost story gets out of hand? Do these legends stem entirely from fantasy or are people seeing things no one can truly explain? I'm Krista K. Coburn. And I'm Kay Gray. Welcome to Haunted Mitten. Lansing is, of course, Michigan's capital. It was designed pretty much from the get-go to be the capital city. We talked about Marshall being in the running, but Ann Arbor and Jackson also vied for the honor. People were nervous with Detroit continuing as the capital because it had surrendered without a fight to the British in the War of 1812, which had made Michigan territory briefly part of the British Empire. Oh, what if we stayed that way? We could be part of Canada right now. We could have universal health care. I would love that. (laughs) So even after the U.S. got Detroit back, British troops remained stationed across the river in Ontario, a little too close for comfort for the framers of a newborn state. Michigan gained statehood in 1837, and the capital was moved to Lansing in 1847. This new, more central location was thought to be beneficial in developing the western side of the mitten, and Lansing was also named the town of Michigan at the time. Kind of glad that did not stick. Right? That's... Welcome to Michigan, Michigan. Michigan, Michigan. That's what it was briefly, yeah. very briefly. Doesn't have the same ring as New York, New York somehow. No, no, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> there is a popular story that Lansing was plotted by two swindling brothers from Lansing, New York. Speak of the devil. You will even find this story repeated on Wikipedia. Great. But according to Jen Carpenter in her book, Haunted Lansing, that is not at all true. And we're inclined to believe her because she presents multiple sources for her research, as well as we have learned throughout this podcast, a good story is usually just that, a story. It's a fun story. It's funny. Go look it up. But it's very unlikely to be true. I totally believe Carpenter on this one. Yeah. We're going to start with the most iconic building in Lansing. That is the State Capitol Building probably become familiar with it a little bit from news over the past year (laughs) it's been lots of activity it's got a big lawn and wide steps that are the perfect spot for protest or rally i actually did attend a few in my younger days during michigan pride my uncle has also lived in lansing for my entire life so when i was a kid and we visited we toured the capitol building it's really very beautiful i do encourage anyone who can should visit um when it's it's safe things have calmed down a bit I don't recall experiencing any ghostly activity, but it's it's been quite a while. And, uh, you know, maybe when you go, you will. Uh, here's hoping. But yeah, I think we'll give that a couple couple more months, at least, before yeah. any traveling. Yes. <laughs> uh, a brief history of the building from Wikipedia. The cornerstone was laid on October 2nd, 1873, with about 7,000 Lansing residents and some 30,000 to 50,000 visitors attending. Construction and finishing work were completed by late 1878. The legislature funded an extensive historical restoration starting in 1989, which was completed in 1992. 
It was listed on the National Register of Historic Places January 25th, 1971, and was designated as a National Historic Landmark October 5th, 1992. Uh, it does seem like ghosts have been associated with the building since the beginning. Our oldest ghost story dates back to the initial construction. Both Michigan haunted houses and haunted places say that a confused and wandering spirit around the rotunda is a painter, as in he wears painter's attire, who fell to his death while painting the rotunda. They also report cold spots and cold winds and, in the comments, shadowy figures. However, Haunted Lansing reports that during the construction of the Capitol building on June 28, 1875, uh, some scaffolding collapsed, injuring three workers. Unfortunately, uh, one Thomas Zamoski, 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 suffered a broken back. He lived for two more years, quote unquote, finally succumbing to his injuries in 1877. Did Zamoski return to the site of the, his accident after death? I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know. Something tells me no, because boring for the ghosts. Like I don't mean boring as right. a boring story. I mean what thomas why yeah he lived for two years after the incident why would he return to it yeah I, but it's I, a popular story I, I mean i found it all over the internet not using his name um i think jen carpenter is the only one who used his name okay um and find a grave also but they don't mention ghosts on find a grave they just mentioned him <laughs> no i wish they were that thorough but no <laughs> i mean i guess every entry at that point probably would probably <laughs> something about a ghost but yeah, a lot of people repeat this man in painter's attire okay. wandering the rotunda. Which and I assume is like a white jumpsuit. I assume so. I actually had to look that up because I'm like, what is painter's attire? And also, what would painter's attire look like back then? Oh, that's true. I don't know. So I don't know about that. And and I kind of suspect that haunted houses and haunted places are just repeating the same story. Oh, yeah. But they're not independent. But that was mm -hmm. my most found when i looked for haunted haunted things in lansing was like hey there's a guy in painter's attire he died yeah. while painting the rotunda and i'm like that's funny because there's no historical basis for that <laughs> <laughs> hilarious i've never heard of this before <laughs> yeah that's one thing jen carpenter does with haunted lansing is she researches the history it's a great source for history lots of speculation on the ghosts which sometimes gets a bit reaching which this is part of the the series haunted america and they can be a little sensational sometimes they can they're so, uh, so i could totally see her writing this book and then the editor's coming back and going no we need more ghosts <laughs> so she tells some amazing historical stories like backed up by evidence and research and things mm -hmm. and then throws in a oh could he have returned to the site of his accident two years later ah <laughs> and you're um, like eh, eh? <laughs> i feel like we have we have better contenders, <laughs> which we will get right. Into. We have we have stronger some stronger backup than yeah these perhaps. And I know this one dates back to um, the time. Like people reported, people have reported ghostly activity in the rotunda almost since day one. <laughs> that's that's crazy to me. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of neat. And uh, the story I'll, I'll tell that's you my next, dog possibly where that comes from. I'd say it's it's a good contender anyway. Uh, so many say the ghost of John Albertus Clippinger. I'm going to say Clippinger. I don't know if that's right or not. A Close young enough. page. Yeah. Clippinger? Clippinger sounds better. Uh, he was a young page who died while horsing around on the grand stairs. He fell and has supposedly stuck around the location of his death. 
he has been seen wandering the halls and people claim to feel cold spots and also feel as if someone is behind them when no one is there. I did find a grave for a John Albertus Clippinger who died when he was 13, on February 10th, 1881. He's buried in Mount Hope Cemetery in Lansing. According to Haunted Lansing by Jen Carpenter, uh, John went by Birdie, and I found the following headline in the Detroit Free Press from February 11th, 1881. Death in the Capitol, Burt Clippinger, messenger for the journal clerk of the House of Representatives, that is a weird punctuation, Detroit, uh, falls from <laughs> the fourth floor of the State House, a distance of 80 feet. And uh, from this article, I quote, it is supposed his neck was broken by striking on the balusters at the third story and that he was dead before he struck the floor. He also broke the bones of his face and his left arm. Ooh. Lesson, don't horse around on stairs, kids. You might end up a ghost story. And wait, no, because that sounds way too cool. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you might yeah, not right? end up a ghost story. Don't do that. Don't do that, don't do kids. That. So according to Haunted Lansing, uh, this actually led to a change in policy that only young men would be allowed to be pages from then on rather than children. And someone on Haunted Places left a comment that they took a picture of the Capitol building during their child school field trip and captured the image of a boy in the window. Pick, please. I know. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, cool. Where is it? Show me. I don't think they linked it, but... Um, Show me. Because yeah, I don't know if they allow pictures in the in the comments but i know it's just like it's a thing it's like oh i had took this picture a long time ago about you know i have this video of this thing from years ago and i'm like then you post it yeah i want to see it well but this sounds like a better potential for a ghost uh than the previous one this mysterious painter oh yeah because this was extremely well documented you can go read the article february 11th 1881 and then they also mention it on i think they mentioned a little bit on the find a grave where I found him but it was oh, I, I very quickly found him it was not hard at all I'm I'm a lot more for this one just because of I always love when we can actually find the person by name whether or yeah. not this one is spelled Al Albertus is spelled differently it's just between an a and a u so it's not too differently but if we can find someone even close in name and date I'm like oh holy grail like we did it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like there is a real person and this could even be residual you know because it was pretty tragic he fell what 80 feet yeah he fell from the fourth floor hit his head on the third floor broke his neck and was dead before he hit the ground like damn just That's a kid incredible in the worst way yeah uh another contender for the confused and wandering worker in the rotunda is david altman who was an elevator mechanic while upgrading the Capitol building's elevator on March 26, 1936, he, per Haunted Lansing, was guiding a beam into the elevator shaft when it struck a live wire. And it's believed that the jolt of electricity caused David to fall into the empty elevator shaft. We found his grave also on Find a Grave, and it details the unfortunate circumstances of his death as well as the transportation of his body to and burial in, presumably, his hometown in Indiana. Reading from there, the resulting injuries included internal injuries, fractured right hip, concussion of the brain. Lansing firemen worked over him with the inhalator before he was taken to St. Lawrence Hospital. He died there the following day. Okay, Capitol building. Yeah, like another kind of crazy death. Damn. <laughs> what a freak I, I accident. Found, 
Yeah, I found some information on this historically too. Again, a fairly well-documented incident because damn, like he didn't just fall. The beam he had, the metal beam, struck a live wire and electrocuted him. Although he may have died from the fall. Well, I guess he died in hospital. So yeah, it's probably his body went through a lot and it it was not going to survive that. No, 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 no. Um, I can't imagine how much electricity was even running through there and why yeah, they weren't careful about these was things still on <laughs> right yeah but i mean this was the 30s yeah so 36 very, very different oh <laughs> this this episode shaping up to be a super super happy rainbow sunshiny one huh yeah yep and we're not even <laughs> done with the capital yet <laughs> oh, good god yeah there's more <laughs> okay well let's let's okay let's do it (laughs) so a third contestant for the rotunda ghost is james parody a sheet metal worker who fell to his death from the roof in march of 1992 so fairly recently Uh, his employer cei midwest had failed to install safety rails and they'd actually gotten in trouble multiple times for their lack of attention to safety so this wasn't oh great unusual for them which is awful Um, but no one actually witnessed parodies fall so no one knows for sure what happened but it seems pretty likely <laughs> um, there, are, there are multiple articles about this incident in the Labor Day issue of the free press of that year his death too led to calls for reform because who doesn't install safety rails on a roof seriously <laughs> there is a memorial plaque actually for the three men at the Capitol um, which I found while looking up David Altman on find a grave the plaque is actually the only thing I could find Zamoski on outside of carpenter's book everything else just talks about this painter guy (laughs) right um which i mean workers garb that could be zamoski he was work doing some work in the elevator and maybe someone was just like oh that looks like painter's garb (laughs) whatever that (laughs) That guy looks like he paints stuff yeah yeah but james parody died outside another tragic story he's another one people point to that could be the ghost but it not like why would he go inside i don't think he'd be in the rotunda i mean i guess my answer to that would be uh, uh because he can but i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't want to say i'm glad but i'm glad that there's at least like a plaque <laughs> to these three people they're at least acknowledging that in order to build and update and maintain the capital people actually died for this place yeah let's honor and remember those people that actually died for this place i I think it's kind of too bad that the boy didn't get mentioned too yeah (laughs) because he was still working there he was still in service to the legislature but it was the previous century maybe everybody forgot i don't know (laughs) but not a lot of attention goes to zamoski either because yeah find a grave in carpenter's book were the only two places i found him specifically named unless i go and look at the plaque then there'll be a third place (laughs) Uh, correct yeah I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's so long ago. That's my only offering on that is because of the dates. Like it's a lot easier to find records of Altman and Parody because they're a little more modern. And people prob- probably would have remembered. I mean, this is 1992. So people could have still been around from the 30s. Oh, easily. for sure. Yeah. I decided to go to my my precious shadowlands.net to see if there was anything on Lansing because I hadn't looked yet. Uh, There's one entry, and it sums everything we've just set up in about a sentence. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
so it says there have been four recorded deaths in the building including a worker when a boom slipped during construction an elevator maintenance man who was electrocuted a roofer during the restoration and a teenage page in the 1880s when he tried to jump between the rails of the grand staircase floor and plunged plunged two floors to his death the death of the page happened on the house side of the capitol and then it moves on to lincoln park Thanks, Shadowlands. And, and not everyone died, I guess, on the grounds. Um, Bernie yeah. did. He, yeah. he was dead before he hit the ground. The one guy died in hospital the next day. Yeah. The other guy died two years later. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that would be like two deaths on the property, but four as a result of working on the property. In direct connection to the property. Right. Because even the guy that died two years later, he got his injuries because he was working there. So wow, yeah, that's our that's our happy, wonderful Capitol building. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, okay. Uh, blood on the Capitol steps, and it's not even because of like a protest or anything. <laughs> no, yeah. Luckily, they were able that to uh, avoid that last year when we had all the protests. But uh, yeah, it's it's really pretty. There's certainly a lot of more information we could talk about, like the architecture and stuff, because mm-hmm. it's it's pretty unique. But that's not what this is about. <laughs> we're talking about ghosts. No, we're about the ghosts. So let's do it. Uh, next up, we have the Turner Dodge House, built all the way back in 1855 for James and Marion Turner. The Turners were founding members of the new capital city. James served in the government for a time and helped to found the Michigan Female College. We'll get to more on that later. They were also abolitionists and suffragists. At the end of the century, the house was purchased by their daughter, Abby, and her husband, Frank Dodge, hence Turner Dodge House. The couple renovated and expanded the house. After Frank's death, their daughter, Josephine Dodge McLean, took ownership. In 1958, the Great Lakes Bible College acquired the house and stayed until 1972 when it moved to another campus. Also in 72, the house was listed on the National Register of Historic Places as the Dodge Mansion. The city of Lansing then purchased the property two years later in 1974. In the 90s and 2000s, substantial renovation was done to the house. It's now open as a museum and for special events. Though you might want to check for pandemic hours before you go. I hate that we have to keep saying this a year on, but we have to keep saying this a year on. Yep. Just be safe, everybody. Yep, please. Check the internet before you go. Wear your mask. Yep. I mean, it's a mansion, but I don't think it's that big. The stories regarding this mansion are interesting because they are very different. There's the story that Jen Carpenter tells in Haunted Lansing, and there are the stories told online. <laughs> Isn't that how it always goes, though? <laughs> At least yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's another book by Nicole Bray, who I think we've talked about her. Yep. She writes a number of haunted uh, Michigan books. And she did Paranormal Lansing, which I've been trying to get through the interlibrary loan system here in Michigan. And I've been waiting for weeks, and it still hasn't shown up. Um, I, was, I would be really interested to see like if that's the tiebreaker or something like she's going to talk about this and it's she's going to pick one story or the other (laughs) because they just they could not be any different wfmk reports quote in 1984 two boys and their uncle were talking out in the parking lot of the mansion when they noticed a smiling man looking down on them again from the top window seconds later the house was filled with flashing lights and other windows had people appearing in them this frightened the three so much they took off through a field one boy saw a tree stump disappear as he ran toward it. End quote. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's an interesting story. Uh, they also say that a photographer took a photo and found a man in the window when he thought no one was in the house. 
And Ghost Quest says that, quote, it is said to be haunted by the spirit of a bearded man whose apparition is allegedly seen by visitors and employees, but whose identity is unknown, end quote. Sometimes he is seen by passersby, quote, standing in the upstairs windows late at night when the location is believed to be vacant, end quote. Mysteriously glowing orbs are also seen. I would like that photo, please. Thank you. Yeah, again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Haunted Michigan investigated and reported finding, quote, poltergeist activity, strange feelings, and mysterious singing and bells emanating from the building's empty rooms. They, quote, conducted a spirit box session using the Estes method, which I can explain to you if you'd like me to, and captured a few interesting responses, but nothing definitive. Also, quote, an investigator reported slight dizziness and lightheadedness in a third floor maid corridor. Brad McCulka, director of the Southeast Michigan Ghost Hunter Society and a medium, told the Lansing City Pulse that during a fundraiser at the house, his group got some EVPs of peculiar clicking sounds and a distinct, seemingly disembodied exhalation. Yeah, why don't you talk about the Estes method? So the Estes method was developed by Connor Randall and Carl Pfeiffer, whom you might know from such amazing miniseries as Hellier. At the time they created this method, they worked at, I keep wanting to call it the Overlook Hotel. (laughs) What is it actually called? Oh, I can't remember. Because <laughs> anytime someone says it, I'm like, what? And they're like, you know, <laughs> Overlook Hotel. <laughs> I'm like, in the Overlook. No, that's not right. <laughs> the Stanley Hotel. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, the Overlook. and I've never people... even seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what it is, man. It's the Overlook Hotel yeah they should have just like i get why it's named to stanley for like mr stanley who like founded it for tuberculosis and stuff but but mm-hmm. you know why don't we just change the name everyone wants you to the stanley overlook hotel the it's stanley lovely overlook hotel for mr stanley overlook yes. <laughs> uh anyway uh these two were basically the lead paranormal investigators for the stanley hotel they have their own division of tour guides and paranormal researchers and investigators how awesome would that be which is so cool (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's like my dream job they came up with a new version of an evp session essentially uh the estes method involves we call it a ghost box or a frank's box but it's the box that plays the radio radio station channels, um, cycles through radio stations quickly. Uh, so you just hear static or like one or two words. And it's said that ghosts can manifest the energy to speak through that, just like they speak through our recorders when we're trying to record EVPs. But using the radio stations for help forming their words and sentences rather than just like conjuring up themselves. So using that... Um, having one person in he- listening to that through headphones while having an eye mask or a face mask on so that they are blocked out from really any interaction with the outside world. They're completely contained in this little box of static. While another person uh, who cannot hear any of the static, who has no interaction with the person in the gear, asks the questions. So you can't have uh, the person asking the questions influencing what the person listening to the static is saying either you know on their own or in response to the static it's really cool i want to do one so much 
it's is great that it takes the bias kind of out of this whole thing yeah it tries to yeah so the person asking questions you know can hear the answers the person in the gear repeats what they hear through the static out loud so you can have this like weird conversation but the person hearing the static cannot be influenced by the questioner right which i like yeah because you know when we yeah cutting out bias yeah and especially in like ghost shows and everything they'll be like oh i think this evp said blah 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 and then they'll play it and it's like well of course it did to the rest of us you just told us what we're supposed to hear right so this way that is totally taken out yeah because like so often when they do that in shows or if they say they'll play it and then let's say oh did you hear that it sounded like blah 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 yeah and i'm usually like did it did it though really that's not what i heard but okay it's really cool and if you haven't seen hellier please go watch hellier it's on youtube it's on amazon prime go watch it's amazing the new kirks are fantastic people and uh you think at first this is just going to be a story about some goblins that are possibly in a cave and it is so much bigger than that i like that um they show you these different techniques that you don't often see yeah this is the first Um. time i learned about the ss method this mm-hmm. is the first time I learned about a lot of different paranormal investigating techniques. Um, that that was what I found most interesting about it. I, I'll be honest, I couldn't watch the whole thing because my mind kept wandering because I have ADHD and it's just really hard to focus on things like that. It happens. Um, <laughs> but I, I did really enjoy learning their different techniques and seeing what they did. And it was it was really cool. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. So if you can focus better than me, go watch it. <laughs> yeah. If you can focus at least to the point that I can, which is not very much, but it's about ghosts. So I'm about it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, that's the Estes method. So that's, that's what yeah, that that's, is. That's what they were attempting. That's what they were using. And this place has been pretty thoroughly investigated. But uh, as I said before, the book Haunted Lansing includes some different stories. <laughs> so in, in Marion Turner's old bedroom, you may hear phantom sounds of the fireplace or feel the urge to sing or sit and read a story, which were activities Marion once did with her grandchildren. And quoting from that, once an employee picked up a songbook to move it and suddenly started to sing an old-fashioned song she'd never heard before. She recalled later that it was almost as if someone was singing through her. Random possession is not exactly on my list of fun things, but... I mean, if it's singing, it's harmless. I guess that's fine. Maybe... Uh, another time a boy who felt uneasy in the rest of the house felt comfortable as soon as he sat in this room in the butler's pantry a caretaker was changing a light bulb when she heard someone say turn your head after she had done so the bulb exploded okay that we're getting a little more intense yeah yeah she has a lot more stories than the internet has abigail turner dodge was a gifted musician a guest of the house who did not know how to play piano once sat down at Abigail's organ and, quote, played the most beautiful music, wait, played the most beautiful song she'd she'd never heard. Oh, man. Yeah, played the most beautiful song she'd never heard. Once and flawlessly. <laughs> so again, music possession? The woman could not later recreate the melody because she didn't know how to play. Sometimes the sounds of little girls laughing and playing on the second floor. Motor City medium Rebecca Smuck saw a little boy in the boys' room who whispered to her, these aren't my things, referring to the toys and items in the room. Jesse Turner was killed in a tragic horse and buggy accident at the age of 11. Mid-Michigan paranormal researcher Christine Pifon? 
Ooh, these names. <laughs> saw a servant sorry. girl. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your names. Um, she saw a servant girl out of the corner of her eye on the stairs. A shadow person was caught on a piece of surveillance equipment. I need that surveillance piece. Right. So yeah, there's quite <laughs> quite a bit in Haunted Lansing. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, this okay. was just me like condensing as much as I could. Oh no, that's fine. That's that's a lot of really interactive spirits. Yes. Or he goes more on about like the stories and the music and then things too that happen in uh, marion's old room okay um so yeah if if that intrigues you i suggest you check out this book oh yeah no it's great i'm like i'm I'm trying to think all this through i'm like that's either a lot of really interactive really like highly intelligent as we would call them spirits i I don't know i don't like to say intelligent i think i like to say sentient cognizant cognizant maybe (laughs) Or like one super cognizant likes to screw with people, spirit. <laughs> or they're out of time. I don't know. Yeah. Because most of these, certainly in the book, are, are positive. It's music and um, loving children, things like that. Um, helpful when the, the caretaker almost had her eyes blinded by an exploding light bulb. Right. And then there's this mysterious man that everyone else is talking about. <laughs> yeah I, which is not mentioned once in the book they do not mention him at all i don't know that's so that's why i need to get that other book come on come on library <laughs> want my book <laughs> look man there's a pandemic going on give him a break no <laughs> i want that shadow person video though yeah but carpenter did talk to a lot of different investigators this place has clearly been thoroughly investigated right it's yeah it's it's documented very well now it's just kind of Thankfully, we have Jen Carpenter <laughs> to have done all of that research for us. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole Bray, even though I haven't read your book yet. Yeah, thank you, too. You're great. We love you. You know, we I've always read, love your books. I've read other books by you, and they're fantastic. So. Yeah, we love all your books. Our next location has actually changed recently. Now the Abigail Apartments, a 60-unit senior apartment community, the building that is commonly known as simply the Abigail, sits on the site of the Michigan Female College, founded by sisters Abigail and Delia Rogers in the 1850s. The college closed after state colleges began admitting women in 1869. It then briefly became an Odd Fellows Hall. We talked a little bit about them in the Ann Arbor episode in season one, so go back and listen to that if you'd like to know more. In 1890, the Michigan School for the Blind opened on the site, and in the 1910s, the building, then known as Old Main, was reconstructed into what is now the Abigail, named, of course, for Abigail Rogers. The school closed in 1995, so it was around for over 100 years. Stevie Wonder went there, which is really awesome. The Mm -hmm. Abigail was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2018. So, like, right before they started renovating it? (laughs) Right before... But um, as we said over the past year or so, the Abigail was updated and beautifully remodeled into a senior apartment building. I mean, if, if it was on the National Registry of Historic Places, they can't, you can only do so much right. to a property. <laughs> right. I'm uh. sure it's still, yeah, it still looks yeah. like the old building, but, you know, with like dishwashers and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, This is unusual. I, I, I find this weird. Let me know if you agree. <laughs> There are at least 23 different floor plans, and each style is given a woman's name, though I can't figure out why or who, who they were named for, but there are some very interesting names on the list. It's kind of fun. Um, the apartments look pretty nice, but I, I think the common areas still look, unfortunately, institutional. Mm. And you, you can see pictures. The website is 
www.liveattheabigailapts.com. So liveattheabigailapartments.com. How old am I? Can I live here? <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> it looks so nice, but um, 20, 20 what did you say? 23 different floor plans? Oh, yeah, <laughs> at least. Because I looked at the ones that are currently available. I believe that's all it shows you. And I counted and there are 23 different women's names. So I don't know if these are different, legitimately different floor plans or if they just named each apartment after a woman i don't know but it has names like the victoria the olive the barbara the paula the violet the phoebe yeah <laughs> there's a Rhonda, melinda <laughs> i feel let's see i got a gertrude i got a lavinia i got yeah. an augustine but spelled with like without, without the, e the e. yeah i'm a, if it's a woman i'm assuming it's augustine i assume Augustin. so too same with Kristen. Yeah, Kristen, which is like Christine, but without the E. Yeah. I've never seen Kristen spelled that way. I kind of dig it. The Christia. Yeah. And then you have like Libby. Yeah. <laughs> Bertha. <Jessie>. Ruth. <laughs> like, it's great. How weird. Um, The only thing I can think of is that these are like notable alumni. Maybe. And that's all yeah. I got. Otherwise, they just picked some random old lady names for their old lady apartments i don't know yeah i i really want to know the story behind the names i wish i could look at the floor plans too i'm really mad that they won't let they won't actually show me the floor plans maybe it's because they have 23 different ones <laughs> i don't care <laughs> that's your fault place you can get get um one or two bed all are one bath so you can't get a two bed two bath sorry guys they allow pets yeah i mean this place like, honestly it seems planning my retirement cool. they got a gym these apartments are way better than mine. Yeah, it's a nice place. The out, the um, bleh, the exterior looks beautifully restored. Like they just cleaned yeah. it up. The brick it looks new. It's gorgeous. But the inside, they I would imagine had to change a fair amount if they're breaking it up into at least twenty three apartments. They had to. And I assume there are more than twenty three because it's a pretty big place. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's. I mean, it looks like a pretty nice place. It's it's very new. There's a washer and dryer in unit. <laughs> Hey, our older listeners, if you want yeah, to the, if you want to live with some ghosts, yeah, let us know if it's haunted still. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually when they do a renovation, um, that's when activity can start to occur. Right. If you want to see pictures of what the Abigail used to look like, there are some very early photos in Haunted Lansing, and the Lansing Journal ran an article in 2019 entitled "An Inside Look at the Six Most Haunted Places in the Lansing Area." Thank you, Lansing Journal. You made our work a lot easier. This article featured Haunted Lansing's author, Jen Carpenter, so a lot of the stories we found about the Abigail are courtesy of her. Ghost Quest also has a handful of pictures and a blurb that mostly echoes what we read in Haunted Lansing. So what goes on here or what went on here? Like we said, we're not sure if anything is still happening after the remodel, but the remodel could have stirred up something new that nobody knows about yet. Yeah. So Haunted Lansing tells the story of a person named George, a supposed former student and caretaker from the World War II era, who is said to have died on the property and continues to hang around. I don't know where they get that from, but he's a popular story. He would move portraits or play with art supplies at the nearby Neighborhood Empowerment Center, a facility that, per their website, houses multiple community agencies and flexible meeting space open to neighborhood groups and organizations. According to a living caretaker, <laughs> if George was greeted every morning by name, he stayed pretty tame. 
what that means, I don't know. <laughs> um, visitors claimed the building was, quote, evil and malevolent. This is talking about the Abigail. Even indigent people left it alone and wouldn't camp out for more than a day, supposedly. Right. Uh, Ghost Quest also makes this claim, adding that the Abigail and other buildings on the old campus are, quote, haunted by a malevolent, spiteful ghost responsible for disembodied footsteps, voices, and sounds, as well as overwhelming feelings of being watched or followed by an unseen entity, end quote. They suggest that the spirit is Abigail Rogers herself, quote, infuriated that her school was closed. I, I kind of doubt that. I'm skeptical. Yeah, because, I mean, the reason the school closed was because the other universities went co-ed. Right. Which and is I, progress. You know, it's probably actually what they were striving for. They opened up a college to make sure that women got education. Right. Right? Like, isn't that the reason why you open a place like that? Is to ensure that people can go and have a further education? So I don't know why she would be upset that her school closed because there there came something greater we got integration and then it, it went on to become a school again for over 100 years to educate people who were you know having trouble getting educated so you know once women got into um, co-ed universities then it moved on to help another group of people yeah yeah i just don't hmm. i don't see that i think they're just picking on her i think so too or they just they want an easy explanation so there you go right and i don't know who this george person is like, uh, there's, there's no explanation of his history he's he's a supposed former student he's said to have died on the property and i couldn't find it i i mean all i have is a first name george is a pretty common name find me some no, someone named george who died in lansing in world war ii era like oh here's a list that didn't get very far and i suspect carpenter didn't either because when she could investigate something she she absolutely did but something was going on and they attributed it to this person they've named George. Uh, yeah, and I'm also just, I'm really, I'm always really hesitant to call anything evil. Yeah, like everything I found was that like the building was evil. It was malevolent. Like, like what does you know, that mean? People couldn't stay there for more than 24 hours. Nobody hung out there. But when you look at the pictures, like there's graffiti. I'm sure people hung out there. They might not have been like the people that the describers of this building wanted to hang around there no i just yeah. I, there's I, quite a bit about that in in the book about how it was evil it was malevolent psychics yeah. came here and it was the most evil place they'd ever encountered like i don't know that's why i'm super curious to see what people say <laughs> now that it's an apartment building <laughs> is it still evil how's your washing machine doing <laughs> is <it haunted? laughs> I'm always so hesitant when somebody's like, oh, this building is evil. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's an inanimate object. So calling it evil is really pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they use very strong words, evil and malevolent. Yeah. But apparently all you have to do is walk up to the building and touch it and you would be overcome by its evilness. I accept your challenge. Yeah. I don't know. This was said <laughs> by obviously someone who is sensitive to that. But yeah, like no explanation is given. It's just evil for right. some <laughs> if we're gonna call something evil i would like like some backup documentation for you know maybe did, did a mass murder happen there like is that is there a ghost of a serial killer yeah like there's some <laughs> like oh when it was an odd fellow's dog did they lodge do they murder people in their secret ceremonies no no we've discussed no. this and the answer yeah. is very much no <laughs> yeah i was like this is well-trod ground the answer is no moving on <laughs> right i don't know but it makes me I, I it makes me want to go visit. I'm gonna go touch that building. Yeah, I I really do want to visit. 
Um, I don't know if it would be harder to visit because now it's an apartment. Um, it is a, it's a complex of buildings. Um, right. The Abigail's one of those. There's like, there's the community center um, and there's some other buildings there as well. So yeah, maybe you can just go and like walk around like the campus. We will find out. Soon, as soon as we can take trips again, Lansing is not that far. Yeah, we have a lot of places to visit, apparently. We, we really do. I have a list. <laughs> yep. Speaking of, our last location for this episode is Wentworth Park. This is by no means an exhaustive list of haunted Lansing locations. These are just the four we've chosen for this episode. You could go find so many more. Oh, yeah. And now, I just wanted to stick to like the city itself. There's oh. the surrounding areas rife with ghosts. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're not talking about like the mini metropolitan area or whatever we're talking about strictly within the borders of the city of Lansing. Now a lovely bit of green space downtown to hang out or walk along the Grand River. Wentworth Park has a tragic past. This is a well-documented story with a lot of details. The New York Times reported extensively on it at the time, for example, and you can read those articles in the archives online. So I'm going to read what I have abbreviated from Wikipedia because it is a long story, frankly, <laughs> with a lot of sources. So this was easiest for me to do. Quote, the Kearns Hotel was built in 1909 by William G. Kearns as a four-story, 162-room hotel constructed of brick with a wooden interior. By 1934, the total number of rooms had been increased to 211. State legislators and community groups often stayed at the hotel because of its location and amenities, including a popular bar and restaurant. On December 11, 1934, a fire broke out in the Kearns Hotel, killing 32 people and injuring 44, including 14 firemen. The alarm bell sounded at 5.30 a.m. Many guests escaped by utilizing one of the four fire ladders or utilized the life nets, but due to the wooden interior, many guests were trapped in their rooms. Two of the injured people died later, bringing the death toll to 34. Among the dead were seven Michigan state legislators in town for a special session. According to the Lansing Fire Department, it was the worst fire disaster in the history of Lansing and was thought to have been caused by a carelessly discarded cigarette, end quote. Per the New York Times on December 14th, 1934, there were also reports of drinking and revelry. Ooh, revelry. The Times also reported on the previous day, 26 dead, 10 missing in Kearns Hotel fire. Eight more bodies brought out of ruins at Lansing, making total found 22. 180 accounted for in all, but some of the 55 who have not reported escape may be put on the on list of the missing. The headline for that December 14th article Krista mentioned is Cigarette and Hotel Fire. Heavy loss of life in Lansing laid to delay and alarm. Apparently, people had trouble waking the hotel's manager, David Monroe, which led to the delay in sounding the alarm. There is a memorial plaque for the fire in Wentworth Park, which you can look for if you visit. According to hauntedmichigan.net, who are the folks behind Afterlife Road on YouTube, if anyone is familiar with them, phantom moans and screams are often reported coming from the area and apparitions are seen. However, the only paranormal activity they documented on their visit were a few faint spirits box voices. There is a short video on YouTube of their visit that you can watch. It's called Paranormal Investigation, Site of Kern's Hotel Fire. And again, it's the Afterlife Road. Haunted Lansing adds some more details. Quote, according to Christy Pifon, a psychic slash medium of mid-Michigan paranormal researchers, the site of the Hotel Kern's Fire is a perfect example of a residual haunting. Uh, we've mentioned it before, but a residual is basically um, like a recording. So the supposed ghost spirit or situation whatever 
repeats itself. So like a person, the spirit of a person will walk through a door repeatedly. They won't answer you. They don't seem to have any other interaction with humans or anything else uh, around them. They just repeat the same motions or the same uh, sentences over and over again. When Pifon visited, she, quote, could see people jumping into the street as well as others walking the water line as if searching for something in the river. The entities were unaware of and unaffected by her presence. Others have reported similar stories. There is some speculation that these entities are related to the 9-11 memorial, which includes a piece of the towers also located in the park. A nearby building now the home to Accident Fund Insurance Company of America, is said to be haunted as well, perhaps by victims of the Kearns fire. People report seeing full-bodied apparitions, as well as shadowy figures, hearing coughing and running water in the restroom when no one is inside, and smelling a strong floral scent in a room with no windows or open doors. Yeah, as I was looking into this, I'm like, oh my god, there's so many tragic stories in Lansing. This is like the most tragic place I think I've researched yet. Because right. um, there's some crazy ones outside of the city too, which we'll di- we'll discuss on a, a later episode at some point. Because some of these are just just wild. The history of that region is full of tragedy, just flat out. After doing this research, after reading through all this, like, um, it's no wonder Lansing is so haunted. There's a lot of horrible things have happened. Yeah, like this is awful. And I believe David Monroe um died as well, the hotel's Oof. manager. Yeah, there's a series of, of articles, actually. The, the New York Times followed this very closely. It was a big deal. I mean, it, it did kill multiple legislatures. So, mm. yeah, that's... And injured, I think, others. So, yeah, I mean, the, the legislature was impacted by this right. because they were in town for a special ses- session and now they've got dead legislators. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tragic. Haunted Lansing, um, the way she writes it is really good but lengthy and then there's a very extensive um wikipedia page about it as well that Mm -hmm. gives you more details it names names and things like that and all most likely because of a cigarette yeah it was someone carelessly discarded a cigarette and it killed all of these people but people were jumping to the street with or without a net because they were just trying to get out and she um jen carpenter in her book talks about them jumping directly into the river and perishing there because it was freezing right (laughs) so yeah right and you know in the middle of summer not a terrible idea but (laughs) either you burn or you freeze you don't have choice apparently i couldn't find like exactly where the borders of the hotel were but if you look at the park it runs right along the river so if if the hotel even covered the grass yeah you could you could jump into the river Uh uh-huh but yeah, people were jumping into the nets that the firemen were holding and then they were just jumping, um, which which does kind of mirror like what happened to the World Trade Tower, Towers on 9-11. So I think that's why people are also linking it to that. But with this tragedy there, I feel like that's enough. Yeah, I don't think we have <laughs> to relate it to any other tragedy. I, I think that's large enough in itself to have caused especially like residual like uh christine pifon has said to just Mm -hmm. have the memory imprinted on this space of people's panic of people's rush and hurry to get out by any means necessary it took them days to to find everybody to account for everybody the injured i think were carried to nearby buildings as often happens Mm -hmm. 
so yeah this whole area it was um pretty tragic yeah lansing not 1930s were not good for you no wow (laughs) yeah they had a man die in in the capitol building they had this horrible fire (laughs) and how how weird would it be to be walking down there and then to see these people jumping like i'm glad i don't see things like that that would freak me out (laughs) it really would um absolutely i'm pretty sure i've actually been to this park too because i remember when i was a kid because my uncle used to live like right downtown basically you could walk to the capitol i think from his house so we were walking downtown and we went through this park along the river and unless there's another one in downtown lansing that goes along the river i've been here and i I did not see people (laughs) that i recall i did not see people but yeah it's a it's a nice bit of green space you can walk along the water um it's right downtown so you know if you're on your lunch break or something you work downtown you can go and get a quick a quick uh walk in plenty of space to picnic kind of morbid place to picnic but i mean it's a nice park it's and it being 2021 i bet you there's a ton of people that don't even know so (laughs) i think that's so morbid markers like one is a memorial and one's a historical marker i'm not sure but I mean, there's a marker. You just, just go to the park. You'll find it. There's also a giant clock, which apparently is like a tourist attraction because I kept finding that. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so go to the park, find the historical marker for this horrible, tragic fire. Go check out the 9-11 memorial, which um, is a piece of tw- a twisted I-beam, I believe, Okay. from the towers. And you can go look at this clock. And then you great. can go look at this awesome giant clock. Yeah, good times. <laughs> go cleanse your palate with a clock yeah like and like not only is it the site of a tragedy they have the 9-11 memorial there like right what are you doing okay appropriate (laughs) or not place to put that i don't know uh why not just keep stacking tragedies on top of each other yeah sure why not let's have let's have one space of ground be cursed rather than multiple oh my goodness and the only thing they had for that building being haunted is that it was just kind of suppose that well i guess they must it must be related to the fire even though that building is not on the land that the hotel was right the land the hotel was on i'm pretty sure is just grass but they could have you know brought bodies there yeah maybe that's victims. where they staged nobody yeah. yeah nobody seems to really say one way or the other but i mean that's a that's pretty decent speculation yeah i i mean you know unless we had more information on that building itself that's Maybe that was like a staging area. Maybe that was triage. Who knows? Right, exactly. Well, yeah, you can go read all about it in the New York Times. Like like I said, they followed this very closely. There mm. are at least three articles about it. But they knew at the time they figured out that it was a cigarette, which I thought was kind of cool. It seems like, granted, I know nothing about it, but it seems like finding the cause of fires is an incredibly difficult job. Yeah. <laughs> Especially something like a cigarette, which will it's gone like that cigarette doesn't exist anymore it's burned but yeah somehow they were able to trace it unless somebody saw it maybe you know they saw the they saw somebody throw in a cigarette and then later they're like oh the trash can's on fire i don't know it's an interesting story like i like looking into these things because i find the most interesting historical moments that for the most part people have forgotten like four people died as a result of working on the the capitol building (laughs) there was a horrible fire that was so bad like they were even reporting on it in london england <laughs> like right yeah i couldn't find that article because i just, I found the new york times once and i was like well, these are ridiculously thorough 
So oh, I yeah. just pulled from those. And then Wikipedia has info, which also obviously pulled from the New York Times articles as well. It links to them. Yeah, ending on a down note. <laughs> on that note, um, go sign up for our Patreon. I swear we'll have more stuff on it soon. I promise. I'm trying. Yeah, I need to get something up for, or one of us <laughs> needs to get something up for January. Um, I So I listened to last podcast on the left, and they just started a series on John List, who uh, was a super, the short story being, so he's from Michigan. This happened in Kalamazoo. He was a really staunchly religious, super boring accountant who um, didn't want to f- want his family to face poverty and ended up killing them all mm. and then starting a new family and not getting caught for 18 years. So there might be a write-up on that. <laughs> wow, that's wild. <laughs> yeah um because i would like to start incorporating like i would like to do some patreon true crime stuff there's a lot of it like michigan is full of some crazy stuff yeah um like jen carpenter let me look her up real quick she does a podcast too that uh might be interested in so dead is the podcast so dead and i guess the serial serial killer chronicles serial c-e-r-e-a-l okay because michigan (laughs) got it i'm there i'm there with you now (laughs) yep and um she was the i know her as the founder of demented mitten tours that's kind of how i got sight of her okay it's michigan's premier true crime paranormal touring company oh um so that was something i had wanted to check out before pandemic hit obviously we couldn't do that anymore right but um she wrote the book haunted lansing um she's also has her own podcasts and yeah, when I saw the So Dead podcast, I knew you were going to like it. Exploring <laughs> <laughs> the wild side of Michigan history. Excellent. Tales of true crime, dark history, the paranormal, and more. If you're into that, check that out because it's it's Michigan. It's cool. Oh, we have crazy sure. stuff happening in the state. History is wild. I'm going to Spotify right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Check that one out. Uh, but yeah, we have Patreon. Um, for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our Discord you get uh hopefully soon some true crime write-ups for me sorry guys um busy plus terrible job plus depression equals i don't feel like writing but i need to write because you guys deserve it um you get stories written written you get stories (laughs) read by krista let's see um our social medias haunted mitten or haunted mitten podcast pretty much everywhere i have been lacking on the um instagram because i have no idea what to post i can't go anywhere i don't think you guys just want to see a picture of my desk every week um yeah i've taken some pictures of of the books i'm reading there you go post those i've i've been limited because like the library is being open closed open closed yeah Melcat was down for a while yeah you know uh pandemic stuff hashtag pandemic stuff yeah basically uh i had plans to go to all these places and you know take pictures and not really do like super like investigations but you know just have stuff to post about the stuff that we're talking about but i can't see if we can get some evps yeah um like this saturday i have a cool thing i'll post that to patreon um yeah yeah i'm gonna be doing a mini investigation of my work and chris's work and it's gonna be great Otherwise, um, you can follow me anywhere 
at K Gray writes, uh, G-R-A-Y, and then like writes stuff down. And Krista, you are what, Krista K. Coburn, pretty much everywhere? Yep, I'm everywhere, at Krista K. Coburn. Nice. Okay, you can follow my recovery of my ankle on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and on mine, I have our swimming our swimming adventures. I think I'm mostly back to cat photos because not a whole lot's happening with my ankle anymore. I'm mostly healed. Yeah, and again, uh, pandemic. It's not like we can go anywhere. All right. And as always, happy hunting. <laughs>